0: On the Morning Drive on FM 96.3 and AM 620. WVMT.
1: Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Curtin Anthony here, and joining us in studio, it's the man with the perfect name for the perfect job. It's Chittenden County Senator Tom Chittenden. Good morning, Senator Chittenden
2: thanks for having me I was wondering what music you'd play in I know with certain guests you always pick music that aligns with uh, their, either their preferences who was that that you just played this with? is
0: Ray Charles
2: Ray Charles yeah, yeah.
0: and right. this one I, I it just came out of the we have a big bucket that stuff comes out of and yeah and sometimes I, I do I, I like to grab music that is a, a guest's favorite and uh, today I, my computer's running a little slow because I pulled up too many videos from the Super Bowl well,
2: I'll on Pink Floyd, if you can find a Pink Floyd Yeah, interest.
0: you got it. That's easy. I'll put that one down. Easy. That's easy. Yeah, this is uh, this is just classic uh, Ray Jammin. Um, I'm trying to think of... And that's a, I think that's a Hammond B3 organ. You know, it's got that funky sound. Oh, it's great. Just great.
1: So, Senator Chittenden, before we get into the many issues we're going to talk about, we've got Senator Chittenden until 8 o'clock. Um... Did you like the Super Bowl yet? Did you get to watch the Super Bowl? Did you Were you rooting for anybody?
2: Uh, I wasn't necessarily rooting for either team. I guess in the end, the 49ers I was supporting. I did fall asleep before overtime, so I'm not a big football fan. I don't watch a lot of football games. but uh, So it was what I'm really glad with, that it was a close game. So I think everybody can enjoy that it was in a blowout.
1: It was a thriller. It was a thriller. Uh,
0: my wife woke me up and said... Um, if you want to watch the rest of this, you can watch it in bed because you keep falling asleep on the couch. That's
1: my <laughs> and, of course, the game's dragging on, and I was thinking to myself, i got to get up at 4 o'clock. I was texting a friend of mine saying, this is the last thing I needed was overtime. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I, I thought of going to bed, and I said, I'm not going to be able to sleep anyway. I'm going to be wondering about the game. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, with that, Senator Chittenden, thanks for being on The Morning Drive, as always, today. And I want to first start getting into an issue that There's a lot of issues that we hear about in the press a lot. And then there's some others that we don't hear as much about. And one of the ones we haven't heard as much about but is still a big issue is Prop 1. Can you, first of all, tell us what Prop 1 is and how it
2: works. So Prop 1, Proposal 1, is a proposal to uh, amend the Vermont State Constitution, which is a very lengthy process. Uh, It actually has to go through two different legislatures. So if it were to be passed this session, the next legislature, after the next election, would have to vote again, uh, and then it would go to the people. Uh, So it usually takes six years for a constitutional amendment to to be considered. This is at the very first step of Proposal 1, and it's a draft language that's been floating around, and uh, it's now back in committee. Um, there were It was going to be voted on by the floor but uh, some concerns were raised and uh, I think those concerns are worth talking about because of the other issues you were talking about in the last hour regarding the state's attorney down in Addison County. Not weighing in on the merits of the case, it seems to be evolving and I don't know enough about the particulars and I want to let the process hang out or uh, continue to pro- go through. I think it's still useful to think about how we handle elect- elected office in Vermont relative to other states. This proposal would have given the legislature uh, the ability to set qualifications on the office of sheriff. And that's how it originally started. Then they amended to expand it to state's attorney's office for the voters that might not be tuned in as much. Those two offices, kind of unique in Vermont, are four years long, not two years. Every, not I shouldn't say every, but all the other statewide as well as legislative, uh, meaning the uh, Senate and the House, are all two-year seats. But the sheriffs and the state's attorneys are four-year terms. So this would have allowed, uh, in the final version, the uh, legislature to set rules, qualifications. It was and That was my first issue with it. It was just very vague. Those qualifications aren't narrowed in or tied to the role itself. There was just no specificity. They argued the Constitution should be vague in that sense. I, I sensed a uh, concern that those qualifications could veer in different ways following the predilections of the currently serving legislature. So my other concern was uh, with those qualifications, if we would allow the legislature to, to set them, Um, We would be taking away or disempowering the voters and empowering the legislature and that just seems at odds with what I see uh, an elected representative democracy to be all about. So I I raise that concern and I guess the point I wanted to make from what I heard in your last session, what I would support, and I'm not saying we need to do this, but I I think it's a better conversation to have and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, Um, other states, 19 other states have recall provisions. And so I'm not saying we, we need to make it easy to have elections and have people be recalled, but that keeps the power with the people and not the General Assembly. Thank you.
1: Can you first explain, though, uh, in Prop 1, I know you said the language is vague, and they want to put some language in place that would allow the legislature to be able to remove sheriffs and um, state's attorneys through some other means that obviously we saw that there was the impeachment committee that was looking at Sheriff Grismore and mostly seems seems to be that's going by the wayside now and the state's attorney in Franklin County who then resigned. So how would they how would they change the process through the through prop 1?
2: My understanding from what was presented is that these qualifications set by the legislature should this go through would allow for the legislature to um what do you want to say, not diselect, uh, to remove from office. I think that would be the right term. These, these elected individuals.
1: And how's that different than impeachment where they remove them from office?
2: So this would be probably more administrative. So you set those qualifications. If you take the certification away, then through an administrative function within the governor's office or within a, an overseeing body, they could then remove the person without having to go through the very lengthy and political and expensive process of impeachment that um, they argued was too laborious and too difficult to actually accomplish removal.
1: And but there'd be an actual vote where the legislature would vote to remove someone or, or not
2: that's not how I interpreted it, so this would allow to avoid that process well that's
0: even more concerning i mean i i i, I like the idea I, I i'm i'm they're they're duly elected you know, and like you said the power to the people uh, doesn't need to be a simple process, a recall process or something but but then even if it's an administrative uh, uh function. Uh, I like the idea that, that, that has there's a high bar, say two-thirds of, of the legislature, uh, plus the governor, or that's something, you know, some kind of high standard to remove an elected
2: official. My other concern is just Vermont isn't the same. We're not homogeneous across the entire state. Uh, Franklin County has different um, priorities yeah. than Chittenden County, than Bennington, than different. So we, if we let the legislature set a statewide standard based on what the prevailing winds in Montpelier are, that might shut out from the process people that want to highlight certain issues that would want to run on topic. So I'm concerned that we wouldn't allow for communities to choose the representatives that would represent what they care the most about in those circumstances. And
1: I guess I'm still not clear, but maybe that is part of the vagueness of the language, which is if the legislature removes, gets to more power to remove them, but not through the impeachment process, but they don't vote on it It's done administratively, I still don't, I still, I'm not clear how that occurs.
2: And that's the, that's the questions that are being language. raised. That's why I was pulled back to committee. So now it's in Senate Judiciary. I think they're taking more testimony. Um, I also will just say, uh, uh, I'm concerned that this started as a very anti-law enforcement effort and since it started as just sheriffs. And so it was brought into state's attorneys and I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have, but law enforcement is a tough job and they deserve our respect and appreciation. So I, I was hesitant to get on board with something that I think was just attacking law enforcement. But it did start that way in your view, started as, as anti-law enforcement. The first version came out, just focused on sheriffs.
1: Um, what, uh, so you would support um, some kind of a recall provision, which, as you said, 19 states have it. We know, and we know some states ha- the governor can remove like a state's attorney because we saw DeSantis did it in Florida, and Lee Zeldin was gonna do it. If he he got ran. Elected. That
0: was <laughs> one of his tenants on his campaign platform what, was to to <laughs> throw Alvin Bragg out.
1: Would you? Would you? Do you think the governor should have that power?
2: Uh, not necessarily against that. Uh, <laughs> To remove an elected office, though, uh, hesitant. Uh, what, what I would say is I support having this conversation about recall provisions, uh, digging into it deeper, comparing what's worked and hasn't worked in other states. Uh, I also simultaneously said a better conversation would be to convert these to two-year seats in a way that's forcing a more frequent recall. Um, just four years is a long time. And if something happens like we're seeing now in certain circumstances within the first year, there are three years where somebody can just sit in the office and not necessarily be Um, Functioning And that also would require a constitutional
1: amendment, obviously, right? Which is, as you mentioned, is a long, convoluted, drawn-out process. But we don't want it easy to change the Constitution either, so I get it. But um, I kind of like the idea of switching from four years to two years for for, – it's funny because I support four years for governor and statewide offices. I I think there's a reason for that to be. But I do think when you have these issues with states' attorneys or sheriffs, it seems like right now with Addison County – it doesn't quite – I don't know. I'd like to get your opinion on that a little bit more. Do you think that rises to – I don't think it rises to an impeachment level. But at the same time, I think she, she's – I don't think she's capable of doing her job effectively for Addison County. So unless she resigns, sort of stuck with her for a long period of time, as you mentioned. is Right? Is that the way you're looking at it?
2: it I don't work in law enforcement. So before I, I take an opinion on if she – should resign, or if we need to go through an impeachment process. I guess I'd want to speak to more about how frequently these types of things are occurring, normalizing, it or so on. What, what I'm seeing is concerning. I think that email about the dragons and stuff uh, that that just that line was kind of over the top, dysfunctional relationship. But I'd also one other thing on the recall thing. I would support a recall provisions for every elected office, including yeah. myself. There was an issue in Underhill a few years ago where right. there was a concern, and they wanted to go through a recall, and there's just no mechanism.
1: And I in Burlington introduced recall at one time. It didn't go anywhere. But I want to ask you, what do you? But the thing I would ask you is, do you think recall? But it should it be very? Uh, what should be the trigger? There's, you don't want to. Obviously, you don't want to have a recall happen because hey, we don't like the policies of this new person. So let's try to recall them. And if we can get X number of petitions, we can try to re. I think that'd be happening. All you want it to happen only during. I mean maybe it needs to be thought through more but do you have you thought about what there might be the triggers that would that would trigger somebody to have to get a high level of of petitions to do it or or not
2: I I'd, I'd want to look at what other states have done I would definitely say a, a very high bar would be required in my mind so for example I think if you had to petition to get the question about whether or not a recall should occur that would have to be placed on an already scheduled ballot that might be a way to co- contain costs uh, and that would be a two-step process where you would get a certain threshold and again, I'm not endorsing this. I'm just saying this is a better conversation to have than to talk about disempowering the electorate and empowering the general assembly. I think recalls keeps the power with the people, and that's why I think it's where I'd want to start the conversation
1: um okay i I, I think that's I think the recall provision ought to be ought to be considered. so I think it's the you know I think that's I'm glad you've put that out there for consideration.
0: I, I know that you you call it prop one, but what's the what's the the bill number? It's S what?
2: So it's a proposal to change the constitution. So I don't think it has a bill yeah, number. Okay. So it's proposal one. And yeah. a-
0: I tried to search it because I'm I, I talked to our listeners about being able to go to the legislative database. We're talking about something. Type in the bill number, and I typed in Prop One, Proposition One, and, and P One, and it didn't come up. But that's okay. I'll, we'll figure that out.
1: Great. Now, Tom, one of the other things that is is a huge issue. I mean, Prop One is a well. You know what? Let's let's uh, let me defer to the phone calls. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Yes, good morning. As a select board member in a small Vermont town, I'm concerned about, I think it was Ruth Hardy that proposed it. There's a bill out there that would require remote access for all town meetings, meaning we have to provide a way for people to zoom into it um, to any, any town meeting. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah I'm getting those emails this weekend so I will say the bill is still in committee they haven't voted it out and they're taking this feedback so it's good to speak up because again not all of Vermont is the same and so I would expect if this bill does make it out of the Senate with with um, higher demands on rural communities it will still have to go through the House and as much as the the Senate uh, represents larger areas and so maybe they have a different point of view I trust the House and recognizing that their select boards are going to face different technical challenge and resource challenges Uh, to answer your question I, I don't think one One shoe is going to fit everybody. Uh, We need to have a variable approach to providing open meeting, and I I would support an option. So town meetings could vote on whether or not they want to maintain uh, online access or remote access, or if they always want it traditionally. And there maybe needs to be a population threshold. So if there's a certain uh, constituency size, that would trigger when you need to have things be accessible online. I'm not in government ops, but I did receive about seven emails about this over the weekend, seeing that there's some intention and concerns on it. I certainly don't want to mandate every select board and every public meeting to have to have a OWL device, internet connection, as well as the competency to broadcast to YouTube and record the things. And then somebody to manage that whole thing during the meeting. Too expensive. Yeah.
0: Thanks for the call this morning.
1: Some
2: some big issues that
1: I'm going to hold off on until we come back from the 730 break. But uh, as we head to the 730 break, Tom, what are, uh, let's see, it's three weeks, less than three weeks before you hit the crossover and town meeting day break, which is essentially two weeks from this Friday, March 1st. Um, what what are the must pass bills that have to hit, and be sent over for crossover? Do you think?
2: Well, um, any bill that you want to pass as they get, get it. through <laughs> <laughs> crossover. Uh, I will say one thing. I think you want to talk about in this next section will be the changes to Act One Twenty Seven. regarding oh, yeah, the five percent.
1: That's why I'm holding off. I yeah, mean yeah, that that's yeah, a big yeah, one. but I'm holding off the getting into it, diving into it till we get back from the break because that's a that's a big one.
0: Obviously. Are there some other sleepers out there that maybe we? we don't think about on a daily basis. Like, I mean, we, we talk about pay raise and act One Twenty Seven, and, but are there some other things that, that, that are kind of on your radar that,
2: so does it have to pass? I don't know. Do, do I think right now it's precariously perched and it could go either way and I'd be interested to discuss would be the automated license plate readers discussion. Um, that's a, it's got a lot of different perspectives and I don't sense a great deal of strong opposition. Uh, I do sense concern questions and a lack of clarity, uh, but it seems like a technology that is, is ripe for a Vermont to use to create efficiencies and how we keep our roadways safe, but it's all about the devils in the details. And so happy to talk about advanced license plate readers. How does that work? So there's a bill um, that uh, would allow. Uh, now this is what I don't think is going to happen this session. But the bill started with allowing municipal entities, uh, anybody in, in the state, to be able to use um, license plate readers at stop signs, at red lights, uh, to be able to uh, issue. Um, you can't use the word fine because it's def- legally defined. But let's say an assessment or a ticket. You have to pick the right word. Right. It right. would be low stakes, similar to a parking ticket. So a parking ticket is issued to a car, not a driver. So these would be issued to cars and not drivers. So there would be no points associated to them. Gotcha. But I don't know if you've driven driven out of state. I see them in New York City. All of our neighbors have them for tolls. We're not talking about tolls here. Um, I've seen them all over the world. Down south, Atlanta, Florida uses them for assessing usage of roadways. Uh, this would be, uh, I would support and where I see tra- Senate Transportation still considering is looking at just work zone safety. There was a tragic ac- accident three years ago where the flagger yeah. died. Yeah. Um, if you put a camera up at a work zone safety that. That those yeah. Waze device, and Google Maps say yeah. you're being watched. Um, it it will change and curtail driving behavior. People really, it is it is terrifying.
0: I have I have friends that did that. I have kids that worked for me part time uh, in the winter and during the summer. They did the the flagging, the stuff that they would tell me that they see on a daily basis is terrifying. And and so I do think there's a place for it. I I agree. Let's grab one quick call before we go to break. Good morning. You're live on the Morning Drive. Uh, good morning. Uh, the Vermont uh, Criminal Justice Council uh, decertify that Grismore guy guy in December. Would uh, Prop One kind of tie his tenure to that? Will the these this group of people be able to actually fire the guy if Prop One uh, passes? I mean, it's
2: amended. That's my understanding as presented. It would give an alternative route for removal of office that wouldn't require the impeachment process, which is an extremely high bar, very laborious, and it can consume a lot of very limited time for the legislature. So that's my understanding of the intent of Prop 1, would be to allow for an administrative removal of an elected office. Elections have consequences. When voters put their choose a name, there has to be some... some Not absolute, but some some authority of that that recognition. So I'm I'm hesitant to empower the General Assembly to be able to remove people from offices administratively without that extremely high bar of impeachment. Where I see a path that stays consistent with how we treat elections is that recall uh, path, which could be looked at further. I don't know if that answered your question. I think it did. I think
0: uh, a lot of people are genuinely concerned that you take unelected bodies, whether they're appointed or not, and uh, they do the heavy lifting. You can hide behind them. And an unelected body to remove an elected official, uh, s- the hair on the back of my neck stands up. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're, we're talking with uh, Chittenden County Senator Tom Chittenden. Uh. Sail soon. You're listening to The Morning Drive with Kurt and Anthony
1: on FM 96.3 and AM 620. WVM. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. If you have a question for our guest this morning, Senator Tom Chittenden, give us a call on the McKenzie Country Classic Hotline, 888-414-0303. And Tom, uh, we're talking about, again, the the big, big, probably the biggest issue for most taxpayers is this property tax issue and the potential for a 20%-plus increase. Do you think this tweaking of the formula will be enough? No. Uh, because for example, I know looking at the seven day story here they're talking about that they're going to allow uh, school boards to delay their votes right up to April fifteenth, but only if they choose to, and then you wonder how many will take advantage of I mean you, you mentioned Mount Mansfield, we don't know how many others will I will Burlington um, I don't know uh, will will enough districts do that delay their vote for a month we, you know right now they've already got their budgets planned. We're three weeks out from the vote basically right now. What, what else do you think needs to be done to bring this, this increase to an acceptable level?
2: I, I think a good amount will reform their budget and then rewarn a vote. And if they go forward with what they currently are, the voters still have this final say on this. And so if the voters vote down budgets on town meeting day, they're going to have to rewarn a vote anyway. Which happens. So, But to answer your question, no. The 5% cap is not going to fix the issue. Uh, I definitely think more needs to be done. I definitely support repealing the 5% cap because if I've looked at it, I was very hesitant for a while. I didn't want to pull the rug out from underneath the school boards. But as I look at it, the fiscally prudent thing to do, this will lower the overall uh, approved budgets, which will lower the property tax rate increases that Vermonters are seeing. And it's also just what needs to happen. What else we need to do? Uh one key thing that I think was in your time in the legislature, Kurt, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on. We need a common ledger of financial reporting for schools in the state of Vermont. I guess it was pushed six, seven years ago. It was working its way through, and then in my first year it was effectively the final death knell that the communities, the school board the school districts just could not get on the same page with the same platform and the same software. Seriously? If, if we want to achieve equity in the state of Vermont, we need to Consistent, make consistent our measurement of what we're spending on in each of our schools so that we can compare apples to oranges to look at resources, outcomes, and methods, and then identify inequities and, and compare where things are being spent and aren't being spent to a to, uh, greater, greater standardized.
0: So there's no common ledger right now?
2: So there was an effort to do so, and it um, collapsed on its own weight. There was a lot of struggles because they're di- similar to the qu- questions uh, about the open meeting law in small communities in the state. Different school districts have different level- levels of administrative functions. And so I also hear, and this is before my time, that the uh, Department of Education, uh, the term was used gutted back in 2008, and so they just have a lot of less administrative staff. If we want to stand up some more staff in the uh, Agency of Education to standardize budgeting, uh, to support all the districts across the state, centralize those resources, create some economies of scale, and make it easier for every school district of any size to be able to consistently report what they're spending on, that's the first step to start to either rein in spending or justify spending or shift spending. And I know this is a tough nut to
1: crack, but I have to ask you anyway. Um, When you talk about... Voters can go out and defeat their school. You know, they have the opportunity to vote against the school budget if they're not happy with the way things are going. That is definitely true. But my concern is we don't see that happen that often, and I really do think that voters are, are – there's a total disconnect with voters now about what their vote even means, right, with the system that we're in. Because if you're in one a town, you say, what difference and – and they're told by their local elected officials or people running for office. I've seen it right in Burlington – When I was running, that if even if you vote against the school budget, doesn't matter because in Montpelier, they're going to raise your taxes anyway. So, and because you're going to pay for, you know, down here in Rutland, we're going to pay for Burlington spending. Uh, do, Do you think that I know it's a, as I said, a big night to crack, but don't you think we need to have some real reform of the way we fund education and sort of reconnect voters with what their votes mean?
2: Yes. So the two aspects, one, the 5% cap is the big problem there is that we're seeing a disconnect between what people vote on. So that's why we need to remove it and make that amendment. But the other broader question, you know, Scott Beck, you should have him on. He has got some great ideas about better connecting what we are, uh, what we are putting forward to our communities with their tax rates. Simply for the Homestead Tax Declaration um, process that we currently do in our taxes, he says other states do it in a much different way that makes it a lot more accessible and less time consuming. He's got a lot of thoughts uh, that I keep going to him to try to understand. Understand where he's on the House Ways and Means to simplify and standardize and clarify uh, our school budgets and our voting process. I think
0: that's what's frustrating because Vermont, we know we're one of the smallest states and yet we have some of the most complex funding mechanisms. And then you find out that, you know, it's something simple like you can't compare apples to apples with the ledger because. We don't have a common way of reporting expenses of schools.
2: It is very complex. Arguably, the complexity achieves fairness, some degree of fairness. So lack of complexity is less fair, but it's not perfect. And I'm really worried the new formula, if you read my three-page post on my Facebook page this weekend, this new formula is just going to drive up spending and reduce revenues over the coming years. So we need to make more changes beyond just repealing this 5%.
1: And the spending, which has gone up astronomically, has not necessarily uh, resulted in higher yeah you know, yeah, hasn't. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, the senator. My concern uh, with it, with everything about software is we need to really look at all these these different software programs, as you say. But software vendors, and, and this is, has to do with the contracting by the state. Software vendors continually put you in a situation where you are constantly buying and upgrading, much less updating. There needs to be some additional terminology in the contracting to help keep those software costs down, because right now, tech is basically the, the best money grab in the market, and you, and the government is the best
0: money grab to get it from.
2: I completely agree with you and what's happening right now is each school district with much smaller budgets and smaller administrative staffs are negotiating those contracts and terms redundantly to others. I would see a lot more value sure. in using the leverage of the agency of digital services to in concert with the agency of education to negotiate stronger contracts at a larger scale, uh, to get better terms as well as the consistency that I think we desperately need.
1: Tom, we're almost out of time on the bottle bill. Uh, the legislature, uh, sustained the governor's veto was one of the rare ones that he won how did you vote on that and why
2: so i was against expanding the bottle bill consistently during my first term i voted against it uh, as well as every time it was before us i i I have another piece on my website uh, to uh, my Facebook page about why I just I think there's better ways to expand the blue bin the convenient services for everybody that would also uh, increase the reclamation of all plastics and all materials this would stand up a redundant system uh, collecting just plastic bottles water bottles which are already the cleanest plastics and it would pull them out of our blue bin system which our waste districts like Chittenden Solid Waste District uses, uses to subsidize the cost to consumers for recycling so it actually CSWD was again this and they made a very good case as to why, as that it would deter uh, deter valuables because they sell those plastics and those aluminums uh, in the market to subsidize our costs. They were against standing up a redundant stream. I fully support expanding our blue bin systems and that's the better direction to go in.
1: And on the transportation fund, Tom, you're on that committee. How do we make up for declining revenues uh, that we're seeing obviously as a result of uh, the gas funds are going down?
2: I was worried you wanted to talk about taxes. My good friend Russ Ingalls is calling me Tommy Tax these days, but we have we have to pay for things. Oh, you don't want that name. <laughs> we have to pay for things uh, that we prove, approve in our budget, and so over the, how we do it is important. There are three revenue sources that we could look at um, that I think are worth the conversation. One, electric vehicles don't pay into the gas tax. and They are not paying anything more, but they're using our roadways, and our roads need to be painted, plowed, and paved. So looking at a $112 car registration surcharge for battery electric vehicles. So not hybrids. Uh, that's something that is likely to come over the next three years, but maybe accelerating that. We've been waiting until there's a certain adoption rate, but we have about 10,000 to 12,000 electric vehicles right now. You add a $112 per year, that's a million bucks, and we're short about 10 million in the uh, transportation fund looking a couple of years out. Another one, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Many states do this. Vermont doesn't. In Vermont right now, when you register a 20-year-old Cavalier, you're paying $200 for two years. And if you register an $80,000 Tesla, you're paying $200 for about two years. Other states have ad valorem registration tax. and my good friend Jane Kitchell which would remind me that we have a purchase and use tax that New Hampshire doesn't and others don't. I would just, uh, my point is, when you buy an $80,000 brand new car, you're usually getting it for five to ten years. It's, people use it for longer periods of time, and they only pay that purchase and use the first time they buy it. When you buy a Cavalier that's 20 years old, you maybe got a year or two out of it. And so you're paying the purchase and use every time you buy a new car. My point is, ad valorem might be a way to, if you want to lower the purchase and use, but at least have a progressive scale where we're charging a registration fee based on the value of the car to subsidize and fill the hole because we're seeing less monies coming in from tax uh, gas taxes.
1: Got it. I think, you know, obviously you're going to need to do something there. Yeah. Uh, lastly, Tom, um, the report is that with the tough budgetary year, uh, that the legislative pay increase, which went from doubling last year to only 75% this year and then down to 42%, may be going by the wayside altogether. Is is, is that pay raise dead, and do you think it should
2: be? So I'm not in leadership, uh, so I, I won't say if it's dead or not. I'll say the hubbub is that it is dead. Uh, this would be a terrible year to vote for a raise uh, when we're looking at so many Huge property tax increases. I was against it last year. I was against it for two specific reasons that I have continued. Uh, I will say that there are versions that I could support, and I think you'd find com- a common ground there. The the version that was before us last year was doubling our pay. That was way too much. But w- one thing I just couldn't get over was the adjournment pay. And when we're adjourned, we shouldn't be paid. And this that original one had eight hours a week, effectively thousand dollars a month throughout the year. And it was pitched as um, to pay for when you do emails and attend community events. This is service to me. So if I'm going to attend community events and how much time, when I choose and how I choose to to contribute, that's on me. And I shouldn't be paid for that. So I, I couldn't get over the adjournment pay. I, I would support, and also there's no oversight, How do you, who's going to approve my hours that I'm actually spending time on those things, especially when we're giving ourselves a raise. Uh, but I would support um, in a during session increase in pay. It is hard to do this job. And I, I am able to commute home, but there are people that live in the tropics of Vermont that have to put their, you know, Bennington and Rutland, uh, they have to put their lives on hold and go up to Montpelier and they can't work a secondary job during the week. So when we have you in session and having to be there 9 to 5, I say we could pay more so that you could get better attention and it'll be a little bit softer but not 75 state senator
1: tom chittenden thanks for being on the morning drive today appreciate it as anytime. always thanks for coming in we discussed a lot oh, uh, and really thanks for the it. thanks for the chittenden donuts
0: here yeah anytime thank you for the donuts thanks for having great guys. chittenden yeah.
1: apple cider donuts
0: and uh keep us in the loop appreciate your uh i appreciate your uh, your wisdom and your logic uh, uh in the state house i'll try to talk slower next time No, you got it. It was all good. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to check in with ABC News. Uh, Amanda's got the headlines, of course. We've got the uh, forecast. There is a snowstorm. It's coming mostly to the south of us. But Dave Bush from Max Advantage 3 Weather.